0: Welcome to the Brothers and Others Podcast. I'm your co-host Sam Marsh. And I'm your co-host Jacob Marsh. And together we are the Marsh Brothers.
1: Welcome back to the Brothers and Others Podcast. I'm your co-host Sam Marsh. And I'm your co-host Jacob Marsh. And we got a great pod for y'all today. We're really excited. Uh, we are able, yes. Jake was able to finagle his way and get Michael Robison on the pod, who is Joe Exotic's press secretary. Um, it's a very, very interesting pod. We hope you all enjoy it. Um, in other news, Jake, I know you and the family are getting ready for a month-long European vacation what are you looking forward to the most about that well tough to say i mean
0: if i had to pick it probably just be introducing my son to his family because that's kind of the the main purpose uh, the main vehicle that's driving our trip here is you know getting over to poland so um that my wife and my son can see everybody there's a big family reunion planned and yeah, we're all really, really excited. Um, I'll have to work, uh, two weeks while we're there, but I really honestly could care less. I mean, um, I'm just really excited. I haven't been back since, uh, 2018. So it's been a little bit of time. This is a big long gap for me too, but yeah, man, we're super pumped. Uh, we're going to make stops in Hamburg, Germany. Poznan, Poland; Krakow, Poland; and Rome, Italy. So very excited!
1: Wow, that should
0: be a good time. Yeah, man, everything everything is prepared for the most part. Pack this weekend, so that regular, regular one,
1: but regular Clark Griswold over there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> well, I'm definitely excited for you and the family, man. Uh For the listeners, we hope you really enjoy it. As always, feel free to, to hit us up at brothersmarsh at gmail.com or at our Twitter, Brothers and Others. Other than that, kick back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to the Brothers and Others podcast. I'm your co-host, Sam Marsh. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Marsh. And today we have a very special guest, Michael Robinson, the presidential press secretary for Joe Exotic. Michael, welcome to the pod.
2: What's up, guys? Good to be here. Thank you for having me on today, man. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's really nice to have you on, man. Happy to connect. Um, We've been uh, going back and forth a little bit on Twitter to try to get you on here and we wanted to kind of let you introduce yourself um some of our listeners will probably recognize who you're involved with but uh yeah if you wouldn't mind just letting sure. the listeners know who you are and
2: we'll take it from there you got it yeah so uh, like you said my name is michael Robinson, but uh i i currently am serving uh with joe exotic which obviously most people know joe exotic or they know the name of joe exotic from tiger king uh, Joe is running for president in twenty twenty four i 'm serving as his presidential press secretary, uh, but outside of that, you know it, it, my life 's somewhat simple, although it 's been complex many times over so a serial, <laughs> serial entrepreneur myself uh, but it, part of, part of that serial entrepreneurism in my life I actually for a large season of my life, I pastored one of the largest churches in America. Uh, I owned a chain of jewelry stores. I've, I, uh, I mean I've done all kinds of crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, currently I've taken over my, yeah, I learned to be an entrepreneur for my family. My grandfather was, you know, serial entrepreneur. That's my father. And uh, my dad retired this last year or is in the process of retiring. I wish he would retire. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, he is in the process of retiring and I took over the family business, which is one of the largest screen printing and merchandising companies in the Southeast United States. And so I've been doing that. but. In the midst of all of this, and I was just telling somebody earlier, I started working with exotic animals in 1996, uh, when I was in high school and, uh, you know, worked for a veterinarian. I even went to veterinary school and dropped out because I, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be a doctor. This is crazy. It's not really what I want to do. I just want to be with the animals. Yeah. So I, but I have done that, you know, gosh, we're, you know, pushing 30 years now. And, um, you know, because of that, I, I crossed paths with Joe. Uh, but, but during the pandemic, really the business that I owned at the time, we kind of shut down, uh, because basically everybody that was my client was shut down as well. And I was like, oh, this is a good time. I'll kind of quasi retire. I'll go do what I really want to do, which is work with animals, love on animals, that kind of stuff. And uh, and then spring forward, we, we built this incredible organization, uh, as a rescue and re rehabilitation organization in the United States for primates. So monkeys essentially. And, uh, you know, Joe and I got to be good friends, you know, really prior to even Tiger King. We got to know each other, but really become really good friends over the last couple of years. And so here I am. And of course, the number one question I get often is how did Joe talk you into being his press secretary? And I, I tell people all the time, Joe didn't even ask me. Joe told me. And. Uh, <laughs> That's the way Joe operates. So when Joe said, hey, I'm going to have you be my press secretary, I was like, okay, here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> so here I am. So anyway, that's a little bit about me. I mean, other than that, you know, I'm married. Uh, you know, I'm, I've been married and divorced, but I'm married. Uh, I have seven kids. I still have five of those kids at home. So life is never dull. There's never a slow moment in my life, and uh, it keeps you on your toes. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world now as joe's press secretary michael what's kind of your day-to-day operations like you know it, it it ebbs and flows day to day um you know about a month ago you know things were crazy i mean we were constantly doing media radio all of that you know and the news cycle kind of ebbs and flows right so a lot of the presidential cycle depends on what's happening with the you know the news cycle in particular and of course it's a very unique thing because joe is only the second candidate in the history of the United States to run a presidential campaign from federal prison, which is, you know, for a lot of people that kind of scratch their heads. And I'm, you know, I tell folks all the time, like, that's the beauty of our constitution, which a lot of folks don't know very well, uh, is that you actually do have the right, even as a federal inmate, to run for president of the United States from from prison. So, uh, you know, what that has really done is it puts me in a position to answer questions, be available for press and media during the day, strategize with the team. And of course, you know, it's twofold for us. It's not just the presidential campaign, but it's also dealing with, you know, the fact that, that we know wholeheartedly that Joe's prison sentence is, you know, a, a setup. It's corruption. You know, he's in there on false testimony and, and, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of complexity there. So we spend a lot of time trying to strategize, speak to lawmakers in DC and across the country and, uh, really work as best we can to, you know, get Joe's case out there. But then also, you know, because of that, because Joe, where Joe, Joe sits currently and, and where Joe stands on the whole thing, you know, his his attitude's always been, hey, if I could be in this position, it could be any of us in America. And so that's the biggest reason he's thrown his hat in the ring to run for president is because he believes we need somebody to step up, stand up and fight for the rights of the American people and say, hey, this was a country by the people for the people. Let's get it back there.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I would agree. I would agree with that. We definitely, the next president of this country needs to be somebody that is thinking about the majority of Americans and not the obscenely wealthy minority that seem to just have, you know, their claws and clutches into uh, most of the lawmakers there up in Washington. Michael, um, one of the things that I was interested in is why... What was the decision process behind choosing the Democratic Party as Joe's party to to run under that banner? What was the, the thought process? That
2: yeah, you know, around? previously, Joe in, in 2016 ran under the Libertarian Party and Joe, by all intent and purpose, you know, his values are very libertarian. In this sense, it's, you know, reduction of government, get the government out of your lives, give the power back to the states, you know, give people more autonomy and freedom to live their lives the way this country was founded. But moving towards the Democrat side of this election cycle, there's really it's really twofold. Number one, um, I mean, let's let's call it like it is. And it's no shade to the Libertarian Party, but uh, no Libertarian candidates ever really made it to a serious spot in in the on the ballot. Yeah, and, right. yeah. You know, there's definitely a strategic standpoint to say, hey, if we really think we're going to try at any point and get any traction towards having a chance at being on these ballots, uh, let's let's look at a major party. Uh, why the Democratic Party? You know, it's interesting because Joe is probably more conservative than he is liberal. And of course, most of America, that's how you classify Democrat versus Republican. Right. It's conservative versus liberal, which is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a mischaracterization anymore because I don't think any of any of our traditional definitions for either party matter because I don't think there are two parties. I think we have a uniparty in DC. But um, <laughs> you know, Joe is a very uh, he's fiscally conservative. You know, his his general core values in life are generally conservative. Obviously, he he falls more to the liberal. I mean, he he's out, he's gay. You know, he's a flamboyant character. But again, he's all for Second Amendment rights and those sorts of things. So it, it really wasn't about politics per se. Um, but the one political move I would say that it influenced Joe is he does have a deep respect for the presidency of Donald Trump and for the possibility of, you know, Trump having another run. Not that I think Joe stands in the way of Donald Trump in particular, but more so not to run on the same ticket and be in as crowded an environment, because right now, at least, On the Democratic ticket, they're very, very limited number of choices compared to the Republican side, where you have basically everybody with an R attached to their name, throwing their name, you know, throwing their hat in the ring and saying, I'll run for president. I'll do it, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, Michael, first hundred days in office, if Joe does get elected, what's that going to look like for you guys?
2: You know, a lot of it. I, I, you know, you, you like to speculate, right? Everybody does. And that's why I tell Joe, I mean, Joe, Joe certainly got a long list of people he's going to call to accountability. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and definitely kind of enact some things. I think the first steps are to really sit down and say, Hey, we're going to get our, we're going to get ourselves out of, if, if were we to still be in it, get ourselves out of this war in Ukraine with no business being in that war. Um, we're going to look at reduction of the overall taxes in America. Not just this idea of taxing the billionaires, but like let's let's get rid of some ridiculous things like death tax, inheritance tax, a lot of things like that. Um, Let's let's go back and rescind these ridiculous executive orders that cut off drilling our natural resources in this country, you know, for the sake of climate change or whatever, you know, whatever weird side of protect the planet you want to land on. You know, our economy suffered deeply for the last two and a half years. And it's really important for us to open up our natural resources, which will open up more jobs. Um, but to reestablish our, our petrodollar, to reestablish our trade in the international community, uh, which, you know, who knows what's going to happen. The brick, the brick countries are starting to grow hand over fist right now. And, uh, the petrodollar is definitely in danger. So I think our own U.S. dollars, you know, sitting on the verge of a collapse in some form. And so I think it's going to take some pretty drastic measures there. And then behind all of that, I think it's reduction of government. I think it's looking at these alphabet agencies, your FBI, CIA, USDA, FDA, CDC, you know, ABCDFG, HIJ, you know, whatever you want to say and start looking at these and go, you know, some of them can't necessarily go away, but there are a lot of them that don't need to exist. And really looking at that and saying there's a lot of ways to, to, to help with our budget, our deficit in the country is to get rid of redundant agencies and groups that pretend to be a legislative executive combination branch of our government, even though the yeah. officials and don't actually represent those portions of our government. So, uh, it, it's heavy lifting. And I think, you know, whoever's bold enough to get in there and Joe's definitely one. I think if anybody, you know, has watched Tiger King and, and, and been around to see Joe in any form or fashion, media, they know Joe doesn't really care what people think. And Joe does not care about the threats that might come along from a bureaucratic deep state government. Uh But to step in the place and go, hey, we got we got to make some changes around here. And if that means people hate me, if that means, you know, my life's at risk, let's do it. But we got to do something for the good of the American people.
0: That's fair. That's uh that's very respectable, obviously, you know, that it, ultimately, I think that's one thing that's really missing in politics uh, today is that We do, by and large, 90% of us, maybe more, we all want the best for what the best is for everybody.
3: Absolutely. There's a
0: small, there's really only a small percentage of us out there that I truly believe, regardless of how they fall or where they fall on the political spectrum, that they have bad intentions, but it's more just, I'm selfish and I want me, 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 me. It's just that kind of mentality.
3: Yeah.
0: one of the things that I do appreciate about uh, a Joe exotic um, is that you can see that he's passionate and that's what he wants. Now doesn't mean that people are going to necessarily agree with everything that he wants to do. But I mean, to your point, that is at this point, that is kind of the point because based on Joe's political views, you know, Washington is a uniparty. It's a cesspool of career politicians that have, Uh, Zero accountability for their mistakes, and it's ruining the country. It's tearing us apart. Of course. Um, I guess what I would want to know is, you know, who Joe Exotic gets elected, who is he looking to put in this cabinet that's going to help create this vision that he has? You know, what does his dream cabinet look like? I assume that's something uh, he's talked about.
2: You know, it's really an interesting thing because I think – You know, when you look at that, Joe's attitude. So it's an interesting thing. And and this is just a, you know, a a unique reality of Joe. And it's hard for people, I think, to grasp in some ways. And yet we all think it's a great idea. It's not going to be names that you necessarily know. It's not going to be people that are necessarily, you know, I mean, granted, in the military, sure. You need some guys with experience. You need some guys that definitely put in their tenure. But when it comes to looking at our, our our country, it's looking at folks who have who have put themselves into the work for those areas, whether it's our Department of Agriculture or Trans you know, Department of Transportation, you know, I mean currently we have a not so great mediocre mayor of South Bend, Indiana, you know, serving as our Department of, of Transportation Secretary and doesn't know what he's doing. You know, I think it's time for us to reassess and go, Hey, where's that guy that's been working for the Metro Transit Authority for the last 40 years as a, as literally as like a bus driver. Maybe that's the guy who needs to be thinking about this because he's the guy that's in the streets every day. And I think Joe's attitude is to look at, you know, how do we, how do we find that, that well-tenured person? And Joe does have a list, but I mean, again, these are names that <laughs> and I could put them out there and people scratch their heads and go, I don't, I'm not sure I know who that is. <laughs> you know, um, but folks that Joe just believes in, he's got, you know, knows they have experience and, and there's some explicit trust. And I think that's something that's also been missing in our government for a long time. You know, is that real representation of the people, right? Is, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, popular vote is, is, is a good thing. And yet at the same time, the popular vote so swayed by, media and popular opinion and all of those sorts of things. At what point are we going to make some, you know, really, you know, wise decisions to say when we, when we got somebody that's looking at the department of agriculture, for instance, I, I would think we would want somebody who's probably spent half their life farming and maybe grew up on a farm and maybe their grandfather had a farm, you know, and to think about what that really looks like for the average you know agriculturally based lifestyle in america and i think those are the kind of questions we got to start asking ourselves because you know when this country was founded those were the the men and women who helped and and you know women more so in the last hundred years but they were the men and women that, that helped make decisions in this country because that was their life and they came to represent the life they were living and i think we've really missed the point because like you guys said you've got a lot of wealthy individuals who influence who's in power But also, if you look at who's empowered, they become the wealthy and they become the influential and they become two, three, four, five degrees of separation from the average American who's really just looking to make a paycheck, get your mortgage paid off in 30 years, drive a car, raise your kids, maybe send some kids to college and enjoy a moderate retirement and just be happy. And we've forgotten we've forgotten that that is like 90 percent of this country. And the vast majority of us, that's really what we want. And maybe we need to just have some average run-of-the-mill guys in there representing us and helping make some policies that protect our country.
4: Yeah,
0: I definitely think the the work experiences, uh, I thought that was a great point. I mean, we really do need people that have some practical experience because to your point, you know, it's probably a good thing that I don't know who's going to be on the cabinet because you know what isn't going to be helpful is if, you know, whatever it if the democrats happen to win again i don't want to see kamala harris on the, you know the secretary of state or something like that we right. need people who haven't been inside of government forever that are okay with maybe they're not being as many bureaucrats involved or right. i don't know maybe they actually want to do what's best for everyone instead of worrying about maintaining a budget you know one of the things Mm -hmm. that's so frustrating as an american citizen from my perspective Mm -hmm. is the military and the pentagon will have billions of dollars go missing and it's not accounted Mm for right and for some reason we're just supposed to accept that i'm sorry it's ridiculous right you know we have we have enough manpower to give um give away all of this old military equipment that we're not using anymore We have no idea where the military is storing all of this extra money that just went anywhere. Like, you know, do do we really need to be doing that is my thing, because I feel like there's a lot better uses for all of our money. Like, if you're going to continue to tax me, which on the surface I would be okay with, as long as I knew where every single dollar went.
2: That's right. I would be okay with that. You know, it's an interesting thing. You guys are in Texas, and when I lived in Texas, it may be one of the few states that I I resided in 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 my lifetime where I felt a little bit okay with whatever I was paying in taxes, because I could drive through town and see a school being built or a new road being built or a new overpass or you know, you, you kind of felt like I can I can see my dollars at work. But when you look at the general infrastructure across this country, most people can't say that, and. You know, when you look at taxation, you look at where this money's going, you look at you look at just the messes. And like you said, to to have our money and, you know, like I'm I am a self-employed and independent contractor. Right. So nobody's withholding my taxes but me. And there are plenty of times that you owe taxes and you kind of scratch your head. And, you know, currently we got the, the president's son who's basically skirted hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, in back taxes and getting away with it when this last year I ended the year owing $9,987 to the US government from my income. And uh, don't you think that the minute it was tax season, I wasn't getting letters in the mail, let me know when and how I was going to be paying that back. (laughs) And and you just scratch your head. And again, that you go back to, you know, $6 billion in misaccounting with our department of defense. It's funny to me that they can do all this stuff or that, that they, You know, whatever's happening with our elections and it's not about, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist to go down too many routes of things. I think, you know, Democrats did a really good job ballot harvesting and a lot of things like that. that The the Republicans tend to get a little too weak on. But and whether whether it was a rigged election, whether it was stolen, all of this stuff. But then I just laugh and I step back and go, however, the Mega Millions jackpot lottery in America can sell one hundred and eighty million tickets. And within about three hours, tell you who the winner is, where they live, where they bought the ticket and what kind of payout they're going to get. So what's so broken in our system that we miss six billion dollars in accounting or, you know, we're we're thirty three trillion dollars in debt or we can't tell you what happened with certain voting machines or elections or it just makes you scratch your head and go, there's something deeply broken. And the best way sometimes to let to fix something is to let it fail. (laughs) And and that is one thing that is so important about Joe's stance on this is that we got to get out of a blue ribbon society, get to a place where you let some things fail. Maybe a bank is going to fail. Maybe a business is going to fail. Maybe something becomes a monopoly for a change. You know, maybe different things happen because people are successful or they or they're not successful and therefore deserve to fail. All those different things. We've got to get back to a place where we're okay with the natural selection of success and failure of the ups and downs of letting our economy thrive and and cool off and all these different things and not try to manipulate it, not try to hide it, not try to, you know, pull the fleece over the eyes of the average American public. I think it'd be the most refreshing thing in the world and what we've seen in our financial markets in the last six months for for our president to stand up and go, Yeah, we got some banks that are really screwing up and it's really going to affect our economy and it kind of sucks. Like How refreshing would it be? Because all of a sudden the American public could walk into their bank and go, what are you doing with my money? (laughs) Like, Get to ask questions and get real answers for a change. And I think those things are missing in this country. And I think we need a leadership who says it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to challenge the system. And because we're people that represent you and look like you, we're listening. We're willing to have a conversation instead of this attitude that has... Pervaded our nation for, I mean, my entire lifetime. I'm 43 years old. I'm still young, but I'm not that young. And I look at it, you know, look down the down the the, the trail of 43 years, and and as far as my lifetime is concerned, I think the general American public has looked up to, you know, the bureaucrats in D.C. and said, "Oh, that's our rulers. Like those are our ruling class." We forget that this country is set up. Those people serve us. They work for us. We pay their salaries. They serve at our pleasure. And we need to return that attitude back to the people so that we can do some things that matter in this nation again.
1: A hundred percent. And you know, I think that's one thing that people are demanding more and more is that visibility and clarity from those people, people in higher roles. Yeah. Uh, are there any issues that you and Joe think aren't really like kind of being hidden from the American public or that there maybe they're a little more ignorant on and they're not being talked about in the media?
2: I mean, the primary stuff I think that, that and I think everybody, I, I don't even think they're hidden. I think it's becoming, it's like we live in a Saturday night live skit, right? Like, I don't think anybody's ignorant to the fact that whatever's going on with the war in Ukraine and the way we keep shoveling billions of dollars over there, that there's not some weird collusion going on. And we all know that our current administration has deep ties into it. I don't think that this stuff's being hidden. I think what happens is the American people have gotten complacent to just live their lives and, and then demand the government takes care of them. And in exchange, we quit asking questions. So, but, but, but I do think that, um, you know, the economics of this country is the biggest thing that we just don't talk about enough. I think that the rule, the ruling managerial class of America, these bureaucrats, they've set up a system. That sucks the life out of the middle class. And you know, even today, you know, the feds raised the interest rate yet again. And while for some people who have a lot of money, that ends up being a good thing because you can put your money in a savings account now and get a five, five, five and a half percent annual yield on your savings account, which a year ago you couldn't get 1%, right? So there's a benefit to somebody who's got enough money not to touch it. And for f- folks who are going to go out and invest and buy homes or businesses who have cash dollars to pay for those things, as the interest rates go up, the cost of housing and assets go down, so folks are going to be more able to buy property and things like that. But for the average person who's out there saying, "I got to find a mortgage," now you've got an, a, a, an interest rate that's going to touch, you know, eight percent or more on the average thirty-year mortgage. And what they've done is they've set the system up where even the interest rate alone prices a lot of people out of being able to afford a home that's already in an inflated economy. And these things, like, they're all there, but we're not having the conversations. And so, you know, they, they'll pinpoint and they 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 get us off track looking at wages and looking at, you know, all of these different factors in America. What they just have not stepped back and said is the, the systems and institutions that are regulated by the SEC and the Federal Reserve are set up in such a way that they, they, they are a disadvantage to the middle class America, which is why we see middle class disappearing and a widening gap between the wealthy and the poverty level in this, in this nation. And I think that's one of the biggest things we have to bring back to the forefront and demand that people get involved and understand economics again.
0: Agreed, and you know the the kind of the worst part about it is there's so many issues that it seems kind of overwhelming on which one to tackle first, so I know you had mentioned getting out of the war with uh the war between Ukraine and Russia, but where does Joe stand on Putin, and what is his international policy? What is that starting to look like? I'll tell
2: you right now, and, and, and I'll say it as about as crass as Joe would say it. He doesn't give a damn about international policy, not because he doesn't care, but because our nation's suffering enough right now, we need to be paying attention to ourselves. And it's time for us to put money into infrastructure for creating transit systems that work in America, creating a healthcare system that works in America, creating a fair and balanced and transparent immigration system in this country. Like Joe's not against people immigrating to this country. He doesn't want closed borders. That's certainly not in Joe's policy. His idea is there's no reason we can't be clear about this and, and go back to standards you know i mean you know it's funny because we'll watch movies or we'll talk about nostalgia especially of us who are over 30 35 years old you know and you joke about everybody coming in across you know the harbor in new york and going through health and health checks and paper checks and all that like people got turned away at the border had to get on a boat and go back to europe like yeah. and, and there weren't there were not riots started over it you know like it was just a standard and it was accepted and i think for joe the foreign policy is america first and we have to get back to being a healthy country, and part of that – and going back to your previous question on things that, that the media is, is not telling us is they have quit talking about becoming unified. Now, they talk about equality and equity and all these other – equity and inclusion, which are just junk drawer terms for this idea of continuing to separate people. To draw a line of the differences and highlight the things that make everybody look different or sound different or act different or whatever. Instead of saying this country was a hodgepodge, you know, melting pot of people from all cultures. It's not like we have thousands of years of American culture or American DNA. You know, this country was founded as a place for refugees to come in. And so you had... You know, Greek, Jew, Italian, um, you know, Hispanic, everybody, Asian, everything everything was here. Mm-hmm. And yes, people had their neighborhoods. Yes, they kept to their, their groups of culture because that's human nature. We, we're attracted to people that are like us, you know, and, and we tend to group together. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we didn't have is people fighting against the other group in general. Yes, of course, there's always going to be a, a touch of racism or our culture clashes, but that's everywhere you go anywhere on the planet. That's called being a human being. But what we did have is people in this country who said, I will fight for the basic God-given freedoms that are guaranteed, not granted, but guaranteed by a constitution. And because they are guaranteed to me by that constitution and this nation has set up a system that will protect that for me and my rights, then regardless of whether I like the person who lives next door or we agree or not, what we can agree on is that we're fighting for this nation. And we're not fighting over things like race and sexuality and all this equity and inclusion BS that keeps getting pushed out. All of that stuff is distracting us and causing division throughout this country. And Joe's greatest, greatest move in foreign policy would be to stop and go. It's all right to disagree. And it's okay to even not like that person. But what we all have to do together is fight for our freedom in this country, period.
0: And you do have to be respectful. I I mean, I think we do need to address, you know, just because those are the ideals the country was founded upon, you also have to remember, the count- this, this country was founded on chattel slavery, my friend. Regardless well, of how really anyone yes, feels about no it, it's going yeah, And that it, is never going to go away, it, but you can't not address that, and you can't not – it is what it is. It happened, and it has to be addressed because although hmm. some may or may not agree with it, the fact of the matter is that – there are still systems in this country that do not provide the same services to people with a different skin color. And it's for that reason alone.
3: And it's fucked up, but it's the truth. And I I would, I, that. I would I, hope
0: I, that Joe recognizes that absolutely. inclusiveness, it, it includes respect. You know, well, that's Kurt's one Kurt, of the Kurt, things that I person. I admire I mean, Joe, about Joe, because he's passionate, but I can tell that you know, obviously, I don't know Joe personally, but you watch Tiger King, and a lot of what I got from that is that Joe doesn't care where you're from. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care what you did before. If you were cool with animals and you were cool with him, it seemed like he didn't really give a shit about anything else. No. You can't tell
2: yeah, you if no, that's, that's true or not, but that's, that's, a great way, that's a great way to put it. And here's, here's what I tell you. I, I kind of, I give this, I give this an, kind of example a lot when we talk about this in different settings is like for Joe. I mean, obviously people know Joe's a gay man,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? And so they're, but Joe is, Joe's old school gay, which means he grew up in a culture where you, like that wasn't cool, you know, like it wasn't okay. And it cost Joe a lot in his, in his personal life over the years and you know but joe also came through the season and i think we've we've missed this because we get into all of the issues that are happening in america right now with the you know transgender and you know the the extreme i think lens that's put on the lgbtq population but like joe's attitude and and again full disclosure i i have a husband so You know, the, but I also have a black husband. So there's a lot in this, a lot in this conversation I could certainly relate to. And half of my children are not white. They're adopted and they're of a different race and nationality. So I certainly have a front row seat to understanding the inequalities in the system and how that affects. And I live in the South. So there's a hyper, a hyper reality to some of those issues here. But what I can tell you is that Joe and I have talked about this a lot that you know sometime in the late 90s early 2000s like the issue of the lgbtq population in general outside of say deeply religious conservative pockets of america which are never going to go away the average person who chose to be in a same-sex relationship didn't face the same discrimination anymore regardless of whether same-sex marriage had become you know a federally protected entity or not people were just kind of like okay you're different i may not agree with you but i, I respect respect you. you just live your life you know and i think that's joe's attitude is again when it comes to whether it's you know race culture sexuality all of those different issues that have become these hyperbolic issues in our media in particular and then become a focus of government moves is joe's attitude is hey yes of course we want to protect those things and of course we want to address the inequalities that do exist there because there are unfair inequalities and you know i still run i still run into those things which I don't think people realize, even in the healthcare system, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I, I went through some health stuff and I had a, uh, a, a gastroenterologist who wouldn't see me because I'm gay. He wouldn't treat same sex folks in a same sex relationship. That's and it's crazy, but you still run into it. And so you do have things to address. However, I will also say because. <laughs> I do live in the South and I do come, I come from a religious background. I come from a heavily religious area of the country. There are a lot of people who disagree with me and my and my having a husband or even for that matter, there's still a lot of people here that disagree that I have a husband of a different race. And my attitude is you're allowed to disagree with me and not like me. What you're not allowed to do is treat me less than. So we have to get to a place in this country where we're allowed to disagree. We're allowed to not See eye to eye on those things. But what we have to get back to is the decency of a human being across yeah. the board, which is to say, to say no more. The inequality, the inequality that is most deeply affecting anybody in this country and anybody in any country around the world is when you get treated less than. And it's not we have to get away from because what ends up getting hyper focused in the media particular is when somebody is upset because somebody says i disagree and i think we have to get over that we become pretty weak when it comes to that stuff right like it's okay if somebody looks at me and goes i think you're gonna go to hell because you have a husband you're entitled to that belief what you're not entitled to is to treat me like dirt as a result of that you know yeah and you know, I think those, those are the delineations that we have to start making. We've got to get our, get it. We have to go back to, cause we are a country founded on free speech. So for somebody to walk up to me and say, you know, I hate fags, like it's a horrible, derogatory statement to make, right? But they are actually protected by our constitution. The same one that I want to fight for my own freedoms under, that's one of their freedoms. And I, it doesn't mean that my feelings may not be hurt. It doesn't mean that I'm not offended. What I can't do is turn around and turn this into words or violence. What I have to do is say, as long as you do not impede my freedoms and my right to live my life, then you're entitled to your opinion. And I think that approach across America would certainly lessen a lot of the things we waste a lot of time and energy and especially a lot of media attention on. And we can get back to saying, Hey, how are we going to support these immigrants that come in? How are we going to work on our economy that's suffering? How are we going to help those who can't find jobs and, and, and support local economies so that the small business owner can create more jobs? You know, how are we going to tap into our natural resources that we seem to be shutting off and, and get back to a place where we're creating spaces so people can thrive? You know, it wasn't that many years ago that a, a single household could have a single income, pay a mortgage, drive a car. And even send one or two kids to college on a single income. But we've 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 adjusted everything in this country to go towards this hyper reality of getting wealthy or having a lot. And then this over stressing of protect the environment, protect this, protect that. There's all this protection. And we've gotten back to just going like, can you let people be resourceful and live their life and respect them? Even if you disagree, that's why we have 50 states. We have a nation that was founded of 50 states with an interstate commerce agreement to allow us to build a large economy to have that autonomy and if you don't like the Midwest move to the south if you don't like the south move to the northeast you know I mean it's different cultures this is a, this is really a conglomeration of 50 countries under one flag <laughs> you know when you really look at it and so we get get back to a place where we respect that and we understand it. You know i joke all the time i'm a pretty non-discriminate person but there are definitely places in this country i can't live and one of them is just it's like the like northern minnesota man and i lived in minnesota but people talk funny up there and it's too cold and they like it and i can't <laughs> stand that they like that it's cold like who likes ice and snow something's wrong with you, you know? so but i have the right to live in the south and even though i might gripe and complain for two months out of the year because it's too hot here you know, I still don't have to deal with ice and snow all year, so I get to make my choices. We have freedom in this country, and I think that's the thing we got to get back to is reminding ourselves that we have enough freedom that if it isn't working, make a change, and you have the freedom to do that.
0: Well said, most definitely. I, I mean, that's really the biggest thing that I will continue to look for Uh is a president that's really just going to get back to allowing people to live their lives. Um, You know, because I, I don't, I I consider myself more of a liberal than conservative, but I also don't think that it's fair that only two parties can run all the time. You know, the founding Mm -hmm. fathers Mm -hmm. talked Mm -hmm. about how it was a bad idea Mm -hmm. from the beginning. And of course we ignored it because why not? You know, that seems to kind of be the reoccurring theme for this country is anytime somebody smart enough to try and think ahead. Gives a little piece of advice, we just take a shit in our hand and just a, do nothing with it. You, know?
2: You, know, you you have to look at the culture of humanity. I, it's not even the culture of this country, right? But and, and again, when this country was being formed and as we were going through those things, I mean, how many how many of our early founding fathers told everybody, "Do not make a federal reserve; it will screw everybody." And here we are getting screwed by a federal reserve, right? And but the, but the deal is is that. I think a lot of times with us when we're not any of us this could be true when we're not faced with adversity we don't innovate when we're not faced with fighting for our rights we quit we get comfortable and then when we get comfortable when somebody goes hey i think we need to innovate all we do is look over to somebody else or something from the past and go oh let's let's try that i think it worked for them and we we've lost our ingenuity and then when somebody becomes a person of ingenuity and decides to kind of invent or create or try we're so afraid of failure we don't do it but then you then they like you said that they, we kind of shit in our own hands you know when we do some of those things because then we'll go to we go to these people who make those differences and call them crazy i mean i was just reading up again the other day on the gentleman who in 1869 told the told The medical schools across this country, you need to wash your hands because they didn't wear gloves or face masks, by the way, when they did surgery back in the day. And they didn't have electricity to light the surgery room, so they built atriums with glass ceilings so they could see in the body cavity if they opened you up. But they weren't washing their hands and wearing masks. The guy comes along and says, hey, I think it's probably a good idea for you like, sanitize your hands before you start digging around in somebody's like abdomen. And they put him in an insane asylum. Because he told him it was crazy. Why? Because it was change and it wasn't the norm for everybody else. And so a lot of times we see ingenuity. We start to call people crazy instead of going, I, I'm willing to try it. If it fails, then it fails. But I'm willing to try it. And I think we've got to get back to that in this country because, again, you look at the, the amazing things that were built in this country. And during the Industrial Revolution, it's pretty incredible to see the kind of accomplishments that we pulled off as a nation. And I think we got to go back there. Do you
0: think there's something that Joe and yourself could do in the education to in order to spur more of that type of thinking? I mean, like, what would, your, what would your guys' plan be to try and fix the education system in this country?
2: Well, I'll say this on a personal level. And Joe and I have talked about this, but I can't necessarily straight speak to Joe. I can say this. Joe would be the first one to eradicate the Department of Education. <laughs> I think that was Jimmy Carter's greatest mistake. But... You know, that's a rabbit hole we could get lost in. Um, I, I was raised in a classical education system. And what's interesting is every, every five, well, I think it's happened in more than five years and it's, and it's reoccurrence now. But I think about every generation, every 10 to 20 years, roughly one to one and a half generations, uh, what we've seen in this country is this consistency of kind of rewriting little bits of history and drawing the attention away. I mean, look, the National Archives put a, put a warning on our constitution. When you look it up on the internet as conti- could possibly containing hate speech. Okay. And we've kind of t- started moving away from teaching the foundations of our country. Are all of them good and perfect? Of course not. Why? Because they were written by men, human beings who are, who are fallible and make mistakes. And I, but I do think that we've got to go back to some of these classical things. You know, I, I was, I was raised up under reading and, and processing Aristotle and Socrates and, and, you know, just incredible men who changed the way that humanity thinks and looks, but primarily because they encouraged the idea of critical thought and deductive reasoning and told people it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask why. It's okay to lean in. I, if we could do anything in our education in this country is to go back and say, here's the basics. You don't have to agree with them, but it's probably a good idea to understand the foundation that it was built on and then be free to ask questions. Because as we learn to ask questions, we innovate and we, and we, and when we stay, honestly, when we stay in a place of awe and wonder and as a student, and if we could teach our, our upcoming generations that, the world would be a lot more flexible to move with things that change and a lot more flexible as our country grows. You know, and I think about it often. We got 530 something elected officials that sit in a half round room in a big building in Washington who make decisions that determine the future of 330 million Americans. You know, we, we are sorely underrepresented as a country. It may be time for us to look at our system and go, Hey, do we have enough representatives? Is the breakdown of our system proper? You know, what does that look like? You know, up until the 17th amendment, you didn't, you didn't elect your senators and congressmen. They were appointed by the states. So the states elected their leaders inside the state, but you didn't elect your leaders. And part of the reason I think there were some positives before the 17th amendment, is because the states were each their own separate cultures and ideas and in industries and economics. And so your leadership could go, who's the best representative to sin that way? But there's flaws in everything. And I think it's just asking questions. Why and how?
0: Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with that wholeheartedly. We definitely critical thinking, you know, Sam and I talk about this a lot, but that and, you know, uh, self awareness seem to just be in, uh, very limited supply for the most part today for whatever reason.
2: Yeah. Um, we don't have self-awareness today. We have self-entitlement. Yes, <laughs> it's been, very true. It's, very it's been well replaced it. because, it, Well, because here's the thing is like, you know, I, I, again, I, I'll just use myself as an example. You know, I grew up in a very conservative space, but for me to for me to grow up in the conservative South, and to be 43 years old, to be married to a black man, to have black and Hispanic children, like I'm very self-aware that in the culture that I, I live, this is different, it's not the norm. But if I walk around demanding everybody assume that I am the norm, then I'm not self-aware, I'm self-entitled. And so I think we've seen that happen across this country is that people step into whatever their thing is and they move into entitlement versus awareness.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I did want to ask you, Michael, one of uh, when you sent us over some of the material to read before our podcast tonight, the one I wanted to talk to you about, just because it happened to catch my eye, uh, it was Joe's anti cyber stalking bill of 2024. Yes. I was just curious kind of what was the inspiration behind that. I I actually really respect this one. I think uh I don't know, the something about all of my life's personal information being out there on the internet that is available to somebody with enough computer background it kind of scares the crap out of me so i am yeah. interested uh, to hear what you know i think
2: that's one of the things we have to recognize we're we're in a dangerous precipice of change in culture and not just in the this country across the planet right it's because first of all and this is something a mentor taught me a long time ago and joe and i talk about this a lot anything on the internet is instant it's constant and it's permanent because it just doesn't go away. There's an archive out there for everything. <laughs> you know, you don't just get to. I mean, maybe if you're in the deep state, you have, you know, technical resources to maybe erase some things. We know that probably exists for a lot of our bureaucrats, but yeah. if for the average person that's not real. Right. And so. Um, you know, I'm going through it right now. I've got a, I've got this massive group of stalkers who are making my life pretty miserable on a day-to-day basis with some of the stuff that they're doing. And it's exactly that. They're digging up every tiny nook and cranny across the internet because I live a very public life. And it, and it is bad because the laws, because, because there's a delineation that is not made in our current laws that that separate the idea of freedom of speech from complete harassment. And I think it's time that we start to assess. This is one of those things as as culture progresses. I think we have to look at it. And that is a big deal to Joe. And of course, it's personal to Joe because he spent over a decade having Carol Baskin basically make his life a nightmare doing exactly that.
1: And I think that's one of the things the government's been the slowest to catch up on is the Internet and how much of a problem technology can present to us. Um, especially with the recent onset of AI, is that something that you yeah. and Joe have talked about, and how you guys would go about handling handling the yeah. current explosion you know, of AI?
2: It's been an interesting thing because I worked in in financial technology. I had a financial tech firm for for a short season, and it gave me some exposure. I'm certainly no expert. I'm not a finance guy, and I am not a computer programmer, tech guy, by any means. But I remember sitting in the room. We developed an AI for for financial trading. And I remember sitting with our tech team and my guys at XCIA. I mean, he's deep. He's probably deep state, but just really knows the stuff. Right. And I remember him talking about how we collect these data points and scrape this data and pull all this stuff in. And, it, and then watching the system learn and pull things up like I could tell you by asking you five questions about your life. I could tell you exactly how somebody would invest their money based on this AI and it was based on things like scraping your social social media data and figuring out like, hey, is this a woman? Is she 35 years old? Does she have three kids and drive a Honda minivan like because then I can assume you have your kids are in school and then you scrape where they go to school and you figure out the demographics it's kind of a scary reality. And then we know we see Facebook do it all the time, right? Like you have a conversation, your earphones listening to you, but everything you do on your phone or your computer, Facebook has access to all of this. Their AI is pulling this all in and they're building these profiles on you. And the truth is there's nothing to stop the average, average person sitting in front of their computer to do the same thing. And I think we do have to get back to a place to how are we going to protect that data and how are we going to protect the individual who's connected to that data so that folks cannot extort them, take advantage of them and, and again, harass or bully them. And we, I don't fully know the answer to that, but what I do know Is that it's going to take some people and uh, while I don't think he's the beacon of of greatness by any stretch, but it's going to take somebody who's who's basically willing to have some of the same conversations we've watched Elon Musk have over the last couple of years when it comes to social media and Internet landscape. Like, how, how do we create more transparency? How do we how do we give people autonomy and yet protect them and then bring in brilliant minds to help build systems to protect that? But it's all a dangerous thing, right? Because you go too far, you infringe on people's rights again. And so I think this is one of those places where that deductive reasoning and self-awareness comes into play, where we just have to have really raw, honest, transparent conversations as a nation, not just a group of people sitting in a room in DC that get paid an exorbitant amount of money and are exempt from every other rule of law in this nation. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, and, and God forbid. I mean, look who we, our czar of AI, God help us all that it's Kamala Harris. Like the woman can't string a cognitive thought together when she's on a stage. She needs a chat GPT to be writing her stuff. <laughs> you know, like I, I it's it's, it's mind blowing to me, but that just shows the lack of transparency that's occurring in our country because people won't even have... Uh, the the awareness conversation doesn't exist because we all know it. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of media stuff for Joe across across the globe. And it's interesting when you're when you're talking, I did a huge political uh, broadcast in Ireland a few weeks ago. And half the broadcast was spent on them offering their condolences to me as an American that we have not just our president or vice president. We have an administration as a whole in this nation. Who, who obviously knows they're not getting it right, but continues to tell America they're doing it perfect. And nobody stepped up to the plate to call out the awareness in the conversation. And I think that again, I think a lot of these things that we're facing, if we would just get back to the common decency of awareness and, and asking questions and the respect to allow each other to express their opinion without, without damning and judging each other, a lot of these things would find their solution a lot easier.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that would be very helpful. You know, obviously the government's always going to need accountability and that has to come from sure. us. It can't come from within them. I think that's exactly. kind of, yep. you know, one of the, one of the things that people often seem to forget is that the government is always going to be a problem regardless, you know, um, sure. I kind of relate it to, uh, so the office is one of my favorite TV shows. Um, <laughs> and there's a moment in there where Michael is talking, he's giving a deposition on behalf of his girlfriend, Jan, who was also Mm -hmm. his boss at the time. And at the end of the episode, he says something along the lines of, you always expect your boss to screw you over, you don't expect your girlfriend to screw you over. You should expect and recognize the government is always going to try and screw us over. We have to have the majority of the power as the people to yep. stop that from happening it can't be the other way you know, around you know
2: there's a there's an interesting principle i got you know i, I told you guys at the beginning of this broadcast i, I spent 15 years as a pastor faith is i faith is a big deal to me i would never fit the mold by the way i was like pastor at a mega church getting tattooed on stage so any any word picture that anybody listens to this when i use the word pastor throw it out the window and i'm obviously now married to a man so that that already screws people's mindset up but the the there's a principle in in you know, the, the, the Hebrew tradition where the Israel, the, the people of Israel, like, kept asking God for a king. They wanted a king. They wanted a ruler. And God kept saying, you don't want that. You don't want that. You just need to take care of yourselves. Like, be responsible human beings and care for your own. And I think that, that, that kind of a thing, like, we've, we've always, that's like a human nature thing to say, because when we have a government or when we have a ruler, whatever that looks like in whatever form, it 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 basically allows us to su- subjugate our responsibility to somebody else, and our responsibility to take care of ourselves. And I think that's why we tend to have a, a leaning towards choosing a government or choosing a, 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 a you know a monarchy, whatever you know whatever it looks like, instead of saying I have a personal responsibility to handle myself. And we're not, we don't teach that to many people anymore in many settings. But I think if we would teach that, we'd find our reliance on the government and our dependency physically, emotionally, psychologically, all those sorts of things would really dissipate. And you might be able to look at the times the government makes a bad decision and go, yeah, that was a bad move on their behalf because the next election cycle will take care of that. You know, like it's the powers yeah. and our, my responsibility. And so, you know, I do think there's accountability. I do think leadership matters. I just certainly don't by any means think that key leadership doesn't matter. But I also believe that this idea of a a, a large organization that is solely responsible for the provision and the, the direction of all people, I think that's where we, we fall into a trap and it creates these ongoing tensions, generation after generation, nation after nation. And you have the rise and fall of nations based on that tension.
1: Very well put. Well, once again, Michael, we really wanted to thank you for coming on the pod tonight. Uh For everybody that wants to follow along with Joe and his uh, journey for 2024 presidency, where can uh, they go to support you and him and your guys' endeavor? Absolutely. Yeah. So they can go to
2: joeexotic 2024com And I always tell people it's two E's. It's J-O-E-E-X-O. So Joe Exotic. 2024.com. And a lot of folks, that, you know, they, they're maybe they still out there trying to figure out, like, what's up with Joe? Like, why is he in jail? All that kind of stuff. They can go to the same website, joeexotic2024.com slash evidence. It's a great spot uh, to obviously look because all the people who testified to put Joe in prison have all committed perjury. They've all given sworn affidavits. <laughs> all this stuff. It's, it's crazy. Again, it speaks to the mess that's in our government. And one of the reasons that Joe wants to run. For president is to expose these corruptions because the department of justice has had an appeal sitting for 15 months with all of this evidence and they won't hear the case and so you know folks can get in there there's you can certainly sign a petition that's in there you can write letters to joe and don't ever negate that like people think joe gets all kinds of fans mail fan mail he he doesn't get as much as you would think and every little bit is an encouragement especially right now for him so joeexotic 2024com everything's there. Folks can go check it out. And I think it'll answer 90, 98% of the questions most people might have when they think about Joe, the presidency, or or even Tiger King, for that matter. And so if they're curious, get in there and take a look.
1: Well, thank you so much again, Michael. Awesome. And best of luck to you and Joe in the race. Absolutely. Well, we certainly all you listen, hope all you listeners out there had as much fun as we did. Without further ado, we got our top five of the week. Uh, Jake, why don't you tell us what we decided to do for uh, our top five this week? Something very near and dear to the Marsh Brothers. Growing up, Sunday, Sunday afternoons
0: were some of the only times that we really didn't have anything going on. And uh, most of the time, the you know, chores and yard work were done in that time. Or, you know, we weren't going to be forced to do whatever it was. And my dad would always have some kind of movie on in the afternoon. So growing up, we spent a lot of time having lazy Sunday afternoons. And uh, it's definitely become a ritual. So we went with top five rewatchable lazy Sunday movies. I'm going to start us off. I'm just going to get right into it. Oh, wow. National Treasure, Nicolas Cage. I, I could watch that movie right now. I could watch it right now. I could watch it tomorrow night. I could watch it next Sunday. It is a perfect rewatchable movie. Very simple plot, easy to follow along.
3: Um, yeah.
0: And so, su- a surprisingly good, uh, Nicolas Cage performance in my opinion,
1: you know. So.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, it
1: combines a lot of our favorite things. Um, you know, once I got in into Steve Berry books, it uh, re- reminds me of a very similar vein that they both fill of like a little his- alternative history action mixed with some conspiracy. Um, Definitely. I will say extremely disappointed that we never got a third one to learn more about the president's book. Um, I was really, really excited about that.
0: Yeah, and I have watched some, but not all of the series on Disney. Um, pretty good so far, but you know, the, not having Nick Cage, Riley, and I don't know the the other actress's name, like they all had really good chemistry in those movies. So that was my number
1: five. Um, what about yeah, you, Sam? It's a great choice. Got? And yeah, I mean, I, I would say similar. I started that series, but didn't finish it. So. I think, uh, it kind of speaks to the quality of that. Um, I do well plan first, on finishing it though for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, once you finish it, I guess that will determine <laughs> if I go back and finish
3: it. <laughs> That's fair.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, first I start off by saying I love rewatching movies. Uh, there is nothing better than a movie that you can rewatch a thousand times over. Um, with that being said, I would say those types of rewatchable movies are not what most con- people would consider the best movies ever. Um, I also have a an insane list of honorable mentions. Um, surprisingly, oh God, of you do. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm surprised National Treasure wasn't higher on your list. I actually had that coming in at number three. Um, but you know, maybe I I would re rank that, but for my number five, um, I put the entire fast and furious franchise, um, and it should be higher, but since I felt like I was cheating by putting all of them, I felt like I got to put it at five, but literally every single one I could rewatch without any hesitation. Um, I definitely prefer to watch either like the second or the fourth one um or the sixth one but they're all really good even the spin-off Hobbs and Shaw um once again just simple plot action comedy um you know it, it's kind of brainless entertainment that you can constantly we read up about need to watch Fast X together have you seen it yet no uh I did not make it because uh out to the theaters after what was the one uh we saw nine in theaters together yes yeah yes. and that was the first time where I was like, ah, oh, this was not worth paying for a ticket. Uh yeah. I, wish I was waited until it was free at home. So yeah, totally. once fast sex is
0: free at home, we're doing it. Yeah, I'm I'm it's actually really funny you mentioned that. So number four, I had too fast, too furious. <laughs> yeah. We hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just I mean at I just think that one had, the that one for
3: me was like, I would say best plot mixed with comedy for me. That's
0: probably what I enjoyed about it the most. I mean, not to mention, you know, that's right when Ludacris was just starting to do acting and. Tyrese, obviously, was hilarious in that movie. Tyrese is
1: amazing in the movie, <laughs> the whole franchise. Both him yes. and Luda getting introduced in that movie, and then their roles continuously expanding is one of the best things that happened to the franchise.
0: Yeah, I love it. And it was the whole drug lord thing, and yeah, it was great.
1: That was, uh... What's I mean, the name of the actress Was that was the assistant to the drug lord? Uh, Ava Eva Mendes. Oh, L- uh, that's it, Yeah.
0: No, Eva Longoria is from Best for Housewives.
1: Oh, okay. RIP
3: um, Paul
0: Walker. Yeah, so that was my... Yeah, RIP. That was my number four. It was Too Fast, Too Furious. But I'll, I'll just go ahead and say now that since we're doing honorable mentions, I'm right there with you. Like, I would really put the entire series in there. Um I didn't see Hobbs and Shaw, so I can't really speculate on that one. But, yeah, those are... Those are classic Sunday rewatchable movies, that whole franchise.
1: Yeah, well, and, you know, speaking to Hobbs and Shaw, I would say The Rock and Jason Statham have a treasure trove of rewatchable Sunday movies. Um, They really produce a lot of those movies for me. Um, My number four, uh, definitely a throwback, Blazing Saddles. Uh, I Ooh. love Mel Brooks movies. They're so damn funny. He's hilarious. um, Blazing Saddles was one of the first ones I got introduced uh a lot to alongside young Frankenstein, so it always holds a special place in my heart and yeah, I mean Gene Wilder's hilarious. It's completely outrageous uh and it gets me busting a gut every single time. very nice. Very nice. What do you have for uh number 3? Uh number 3 I have Remember the Titans. Ooh, amazing and choice.
0: Great movie. Um I I don't know. I I don't know if it's Denzel Washington's best movie for me, but it's definitely up there and Yeah, I mean, what else can you say, man? It, it's just it's one of the Really, really, really great movies of all time. I feel like it, it's just such an inspirational story. A
1: thousand uh, percent. But do you know what, what else I can say? What?
3: Side. Strong side. Left <laughs> side. <Littsad>! Strong <Strossad! laughs>
4: side.
1: That movie. Great uh, movie. Yeah, I mean Denzel's amazing. All the even all the high school, uh, you know, the guys that play the high school kids, uh, they do a really good job. Very believable. It's amazing. That's yeah, you—you really you are your number three
0: was National Treasure, right? So we, yeah, we yeah, had, we had a couple of matching ones. Okay, shoot. Okay, well, I guess I'll go to number two then. Um, my number two was Gone in sixty seconds, another Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> Ooh, yeah,
4: I mean
1: Nick Cage is right up there. You know, he's a repeat offender of these type of movies, just like a. Jason Statham and The Rock—you can't go wrong with Gone in sixty seconds. Boom, boom, yeah, boom, and boom, it boom, just—I mean, it—it it can't be too
0: complicated of a movie and plot, otherwise, it, you're not going to be able to be lazy. You know, you don't want to have to think about anything. You just—you quite literally just want to relax, but you don't want to take a nap. Yeah, that's the kind of vibe you're—you're you're on right now.
1: A hundred percent. Uh Angelina uh-huh. Jolie looks super dirty. In this movie. Yeah, she does. It it really was an (laughs) awesome movie, though. It really was such an awesome movie. Yeah. Once again, cars, action, comedy, good music. It's a perfect recipe. What Um, about you? What'd you have? My number two, uh, and it was almost number one. It was definitely a a tough fight. Uh, Rush Hour 2, a classic. Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan, just. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, the Don Cheadle, uh, Jeremy Piven cameos are so funny in it. Um, once again, it just doesn't have to be a super intense plot. Um, but just that combination of action and comedy moves along pretty easy breezy. Super quotable. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites ever since I saw it as a kid. I yeah, Rush getting the
3: I love that. Combo.
1: Yeah, the Rush Hour 1, 2, and 3. I think one of us got that for Christmas one year. That was a yeah, set. we did.
0: I absolutely love that. That was my favorite out of all three of the movies, too. I thought it was the funniest one.
1: Yeah, Rush Hour 2 is definitely the pinnacle. One of the rare instances where the sequel is better than the original.
0: Do you think either of the Oceans 12 or 13 were better than the original Oceans 11 movie?
1: uh oceans 12 is the european one right yeah yep yeah you yeah. know people hate on that one but i actually enjoy it um and yeah for what it's worth i like 12 and 13 more than 11 but I, i'm pretty sure um if we looked into it the like public opinion is opposite of that but yeah i actually preferred the sequels over to their same yeah that's another one where I, I think i enjoyed them a little bit more uh, I would also say, uh, back to one we already talked about, but Too Fast Too Furious, uh, not better than the original. Oh, no, no. Actually, uh, no, I don't uh, think
0: so. Uh, I don't think, I don't, the only reason I pick Too Fast Too Furious is because it has the characters that I prefer, but I would be willing to bet that people probably have number one, or the one that Paul Walker dies in rated higher than Too Fast,
1: Too Furious. Well, I'm just comparing the first one to the second one. So I, uh, I'm well, i already changing. Yeah, yeah it's I think with the introduction of Tyrese and Luda, I'm going to go with the that sequel being better. Than
3: ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. What
1: uh, was your number two? I already said my number two. Oh, okay. My bad. What was your number one? Yeah, so number
0: one. Um. <laughs> uh, num- I picked Accepted for number one. It was of really course. tough. Of uh, course,
1: oh my god!
0: It is so much more rewatchable than Waiting. As much as I love Waiting, it's not really, in my opinion, it's not a movie. I mean, you can watch it often, but I don't. I don't think it has the same rewatchability as Accepted because stupid, silly plot. You know. It's supposed to be super funny the whole time. The shit sandwiches, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's just a ridiculous movie. It's
1: so funny.
4: Well, if uh, anybody's
1: qualified to give an opinion (laughs) on which of those two movies is more rewatchable, it is Jacob Mars. That
4: is for certain.
1: Um, For those who don't know, there is one summer... Where, I don't, it, accepted must have been like on, it was on their, comp- it was on demand on Comcast in Michigan, so. Literally, every single day, for one entire summer, Jake watched that movie. It was. It's so fucking <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Marie and I were so sick of it by the end of the summer.
3: So
4: we sick won't.
0: It we won't post it or maybe we will eventually but one of my coworkers uh <laughs> superimposed my picture onto jonah hill in his wiener
3: costume in that
0: movie and i think it is the funny i think it is so funny every time i look at it
1: i just can't help but just giggle austin reyes meme god <laughs> <sighs> okay sam uh number one uh you... my number one pineapple express um one of my all-time favorite movies i saw it like 10 times in theaters um seth rogan james franco once again you know it's a simple recipe in my opinion decent enough plot comedy action bada bing bada boom instant hit uh i Can't speak highly enough about it. I think also Danny McBride's uh, role in it is super funny. Uh, And yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Is it
3: one of your favorite movies of all time?
1: Do you fucking want it to be one of my favorite movies (laughs) of (laughs) all time? Which, I mean, I should say that it's got to be one of the first honorable mention is uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin. Definitely said that it did not make it up there. Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's,
0: that's another,
1: ooh. Uh, Van
0: Helsing. Van Helsing, oh, with, uh, what's his face? Um, uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Blue Streak, uh, Tommy Boy, uh, Three Amigos, uh, Baywatch with, uh, The Rock, The Meg. Okay. Uh Wrath of Man, The Gentleman, that's a newer one. That's good. Um the newer Suicide Squad, not the original, but the one with John Cena. Uh Bridesmaids is up there for me. Uh also up there along with Remember the Titans, Coach Carter. That is an amazing one. Samuel Jackson, uh the one dude from my cousin Skeeter. Uh and Chaining Tateum is in there too. One of Jake's favorites. Channing Tate, yum. Channing Tate, yum. Uh, Best
3: quote
0: ever.
1: Yeah. The new Jumanji, once again, The Rock, one and two. Uh, National Lampoon, Chevy Chase is amazing. All of them I really enjoy. Christmas Vacation is definitely the best, then Vegas Vacation, in my opinion. Um, Kicking and Screaming, Will Ferrell, hilarious. Kicking and Screaming, okay. Yeah. Uh, he becomes a soccer coach against his dad, and he coaches with Mike Dicka for a hot minute. It's so damn funny. Sidney White, that's an Amanda Bynes movie. Uh, it's a take on Snow White. It's really good. Grandma's Boy, another classic that we watched a ton growing up.
0: Alright, these honorable mention lists are getting a little out
1: of control. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, man. You literally listed 20-plus movies. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, Real quick, Zohan, Super Bad, Love You Man, Kung Fu Panda, Big Hero 6, Major League, Mortal Kombat, Role Models, Pitch Perfect, 21 Jump Street, Super Bad. Bada bing, bada boom. I love movies. Yeah, especially movies I can, uh, can rewatch.
0: Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, all, every single movie, well, no, not every single movie. There were <laughs> all but three movies that you listed that I could. I'm right there with you. You throw that on on a Sunday afternoon, it's perfect. Just trying to relax, you know.
1: A hundred percent. Well, without further ado, you know what's up next?
3: Quote Zone. Quote Zone.
0: Welcome to the Quote Zone. Quote Zone. Um, I had a quote from a Dragon Ball Z character this week. Ooh, and nice. it is, strength is the only thing that matters in this world. Vegeta, Vegeta. is the word. Yeah. Who's, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'll just be honest. I've been watching uh, a lot more anime the last couple weeks than I had been previously. So yeah, that's why I chose it.
1: The second part of Record of Ragnarok came out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Um, but you haven't been watching Dragon Ball Z, right? It's been One Piece that you've been watching? Yeah, more recently One Piece, but yeah, I mean, I still watch some
0: DVZ in the last couple of weeks. I usually always throw in a couple episodes
1: when I can, when I have time. Not always,
3: obviously. Yeah.
1: Don't always have time, but when I do. Talk about a rewatchable for Jake Martin. I know. Oh, (laughs) Oh. Uh, okay. What about Um, you? What'd you have? All right, listen up! All the triads and ugly women on this side, and all the fine women on this side, right now. <laughs> oh my god!
4: Dude. Chris uh, Tucker,
1: yeah, the iconic Chris Tucker and Rush Hour Two. dude, that. Oh god, oh man. <laughs> I, I and, do need to rewatch that movie yeah and I think it's either right before that yeah I think it's right before that he's there's multiple times throughout the movie where one of the gags is he's trying to attempt to speak Chinese when they're in China and then he'll say something completely opposite and right before that he like says something in Chinese and then Jackie Chan's like you just invited them to all come back and shave your back with a goat or something like that <laughs> Uh, <sighs> last but not least, we got our word of the week.
0: Word of the week. Word
1: of the week. Sam, uh, wanna do us the honors? Yeah, I got a good one this week. Uh hopefully I can pronounce it correctly. It's uh Cansanguinity. Can sanguinity? Yeah. Can sanguinity. Would you like me to spell that? Yes, please. C-O-N as in Nancy. S-A-N as in Nancy. G-U-I-N as in Nancy. I-T-Y. Uh-huh. Got it. Any, uh, Any guesses on what it means? I have absolutely no idea. It is the fact of being descended from the same ancestor interest yeah
3: okay.
1: hmm. i forget what wikipedia i was going deep on but i saw it and that's uh why i picked it uh so yeah to be used in sentence the uh, marriage was annulled on grounds of insanguinity okay wow
3: that was a good one i did not know that thank you um, what you got for us jake i
0: chose the word clamorous Ooh, uh, it is C-L-A-M-O-R-O-U-S. And clamorous. It clamorous,
3: clamorous. The flouncer, Uh,
0: means, uh, of a person making a loud and confused noise.
4: So the <laughs> example,
0: <laughs> the example, you know, the reason I thought of it is because, uh, at work on Friday, we make that joke all the time, or I make that joke all the time about getting like a cowbell because yeah. of how quickly everybody moves up to go get
1: food when it <laughs> arrives.
3: <laughs>
1: or when they heard us started singing, uh, suck
3: on chili dogs. Yeah.
1: To taste the well thanks again to everybody for stopping in and listening. Uh, as always hit us up brothersmarsh at gmail or on Twitter at Brothers and Others. Until next time. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Brothers and Others, hosted by the Marsh Brothers. We wanted to remind you to email us at
0: brothersmarsh at gmail.com with any questions you'd like answered on the pod or any topics you'd like covered. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at
1: Brothers, capital N, Others. Last but not least, ensure to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That's That's it it for for now, until Until next time. time.